Good morning, everybody. Hey, I wanted the, some of the machines to go off a little bit. So just, you could just see what happened this past, um, uh, or yesterday, this past weekend um, at our Christmas um, town, our Christmas at Central. It was uh, an incredible experience. There was snow everywhere. We had thousands of, of uh, snowballs. And uh, man, it's almost like a tradition when you start doing the snowballs. Maybe we should do them just throughout the month of December during the church service uh, we'll see how that goes. It was, it was insane. Kids running around throwing snowballs during the performance. It was a lot of fun. I just wanted to, for you guys to experience that just a little bit if you weren't able to make it um, on, on, a, on a, or yesterday. We had a great time uh, at Christmas at Central. I just want to recognize a few people. We had um, over 50 people that were a part of our onstage and backstage uh, doing this performance, three performances um, on, on Saturday and it's a lot of work, and they did a fantastic job. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for starting that clap, Mindy. Appreciate it. Um, we also had a ton of volunteers um, working with, with the kids. We had, uh, we had child... <coughs> I got this in my throat now. <laughs> I'm going to go stand over here. Um, so we had uh, all, these ki- all these kids in the, in the in nursery, and um, we had a bunch of volunteers over there. And then we had uh, 200 people volunteering. Um, there, a lot of you guys are here um, for the Christmas town, yeah. And um, what was going on in here, we were able to, to reach a lot, of, a lot of families. And it was an opportunity for us to, to show the love of Jesus to our community. We had over 900 people come and be a part of our, perform, our three different performances um, from the community. It was fantastic. This place was packed out for all three uh, performances. And we had tons of stuff going on. Um, with Christmas Town and outside, and we had donkeys, and there was just all sorts of stuff going on. It was a fantastic, um, awesome, awesome experience. So thank you, church, for for being the hands and feet of Jesus um, this week. It's been really, really cool. Um, well, if you don't know uh, me, my name is Clayton, and I am the, the lead pastor here at Central. And I have, I've got one perk as the lead pastor is I, I get a microphone every week, and I can kind of say whatever I want. A little dangerous. Um, but uh, today, my son, Corbin over here, turned 18 today. Let's go, Corbin. Woo! All right. So today, being a pastor's kid, he gets to come to church. And uh, that's how we're celebrating. <laughs> no, we're going to do some other stuff today. But uh, that's the life of a uh, pastor's kid. So, and uh, yeah, it's crazy how they just grow up so fast and get choked up and Anyways, all right, so um, we're going to continue uh, today. Hey, uh, today is a, we got a lot of stuff to cover today, and so it'd be very, very beneficial for you if you take your phone out, scan the QR code uh, so you can have the notes. There's lots of stuff. There's so many, so much scripture today, you don't have time to flip throughout, throughout your Bible, okay? There's lots of stuff uh, going today. We're going we're gonna to do um, a, a bunch of uh, scriptures. I, I heard this after the first service. Uh, one of the guys came up to me and said, you know, this is a, a great sermon because it, it was, even though we touched a lot of topics, it was like skipping a rock across uh, the surface of the water that um, every single skip, you know, it, it created an impact um, and it tells a story. So we have a lot to share um, today. So make sure you guys take that, that, uh, that advantage of the notes um, for today because we're in the middle of a series. We're calling it Rewind um, and we're looking at Jesus's life in Rewind. Um, last week, we, we did two sermons in one. Today, we're doing two sermons in one again. Um, last week, we talked about, at the, started at the very beginning of, of the story of Jesus. We went into Revelation, we went to the, almost the last uh, verse of the Bible, and we looked at Jesus's 
um, return. He's going to return someday. We also looked at his, his, uh, his resurrection. And so we rewound um, several thousand years um, to when he was resurrected from the grave. And we looked at how that impacts our lives. Um, every single one of us has, has heard of the story of Jesus, right? We've all heard of, of the story of Jesus. And what is said today is not going to be anything that's new that you've never heard before. But today we're going to present the story of Jesus, I believe, in a, in a kind of a new way that I think can lead to transformation. That is the purpose of, of today's um, message. So last week, like we said, we talked about the return. We talked about um, his, his resurrection. And the reason we, we talked about those is because right before that moment, there was no hope. In the story of Jesus, all hope was lost. I don't know if you've had a moment where you experienced no hope. I think about uh, 9-11. If you're around when 9-11 happened, man, it's crazy to think how long ago that was now. But how that, is, that was super crazy, impacted our lives. We'll never forget that day. Because in that moment, there was a lot of the insecurity, right? And you didn't know um, what was, what was going to be next and what was going to happen. And in, in some ways, all hope was kind of lost. I also think about just recently, if you've been watching the news about what's happening in Israel, Right, um, October seventh, Hamas uh, comes across um, and the border and and starts attacking these villages, these innocent men, women, and children. And just imagine being an Israeli living in these in these little uh, settlements, and all of a sudden your life is turned upside down, um, and people are killed, people are taken hostage. It was, it was just it's awful. Can you imagine what it would be like to to be in that situation where you have no hope? Right, you go from having hope to no hope in an instant. And that's what happened when Jesus died. If we hit the rewind button from his resurrection, we go back three days, Jesus died. And I was thinking about this. What is the best way to to describe that significant event? And I think one of the best ways, maybe a unique way to do that, is to use the five W's of storytelling. You ever heard of those? Sometimes they call them the reporter's question um, I remember in college in a communication class, uh, they, these, these questions um, are, are essential. They said they're essential for, for us to complete a story, to, to have the full picture. Y'all know what those are? Who? What? When? Where? And why? Some people say how, okay? That's why I grew up saying how. But those, those are the five questions, right? Who, what, when, where, and how? And today, that's what we're going to do. You've heard sermons about Jesus' death and his life, but you probably never heard a sermon using those five questions. So this is what we're going to do. we got a lot to do today. We're going to jump through these five questions specifically about Jesus' death. So the five W's of Jesus' death. The first is Who? Okay, who, right? So the who of Jesus' death is the spotless lamb. Jesus is the spotless lamb. And that is very significant. And the Bible speaks about that Jesus, when he died, he represented the spotless lamb um, for us. That is the who of Jesus' death. In fact, the Bible talks about it in a couple places. I want to turn your attention to 1 John chapter 3. The Bible says that Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him. There's no sin in him, meaning that he is spotless. He is perfect. And that's very significant because if he had sin in his life, he'd be dying for his own sin. But Jesus had the ability to die for our sin because he has no sin. He is spotless. Also, 
He's our sacrifice. He's our sacrifice. Isaiah 53 says this about, about Jesus um, prophesying Old Testament. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word, and he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He is the spotless lamb. That is the who of Jesus' um, Jesus's death. Now, what comes after who? Come on. What? Okay. All right. So what comes after Jesus, after the who, is, is, is what? So what we're going to talk about now is the what of Jesus' death. And we're going to talk about the crucifixion. It was a death sentence, the death sentence of crucifixion. You see, before crucifixion was around, they used to kill people by impaling them. Y'all know what that is? Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you for the illustration there. Okay. So impaling, I'm not going to get into it, but, but it was gruesome. You would literally uh, be stuck on a, on a stick, um, on a pole um, in, in the ground, and that's how you would, would, be, would be killed. Um, everybody could see it. The problem was you died too quickly. And the Romans, they perfected um, capital punishment, okay? They wanted you to really feel it. They want to send a stronger message where you wouldn't just die, that you would actually experience death. And the people that saw you die would experience that same thing. It was to maximize shame um, and, and, and torture. That was the purpose of, of, of crucifixion. I mean, think about this. When, when you died by crucifixion, you, you had to carry your cross, okay? So you were, in essence, just digging your, your own grave, you know? You were stripped naked, so there was a lot of shame in that. You were nailed uh, through the wrists um, on, a, on a wooden beam. You can imagine how, how that would feel. And then they would attach ropes to that beam and raise you up onto a, another a, a vertical piece and attach that, those two pieces um, together. Then they would take your feet and they would nail through your feet onto that, that vertical piece. And then you were hung there. And you had no relief. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was perfect way of maximizing pain in death. You see, when you're hanging on a cross, all that weight is on those three nails, okay? And so what naturally happens is, is you slump down. But when you slump down, you can't breathe. And the pain in your wrists is, is, is terrible, okay? Can't even imagine the pain. And so in order to breathe, in order to, in order to take some weight off of your, your hands, you had to push up with your feet on those nails. And you can imagine the pain in your legs, in your feet of having to I mean, when we step on a Lego, guys, like we, we think the world is, is ended, okay? Can you imagine with your feet nailed together? And usually a prisoner has already been whipped and beaten almost to death. And so their back is just wide open. Skin is gone. And you're rubbing constantly up against that, that piece of wood on your back. Can you imagine what that was like? And Jesus would have to over and over again raise himself up just so he could take a breath. And then it was too much for him to handle, and he would, he would slump back down. And he just went, did this over and over again. Some people would last for several days on the cross. Jesus lasted for a couple hours. And the reason is he was beaten so bad that he should have been in the ICU. Instead, he hung on a cross. You all know how Jesus actually died? He suffocated to death. That's how he died. Terrible. Terrible death. Crucifixion is a terrible thing. Look what Hebrews chapter 12 says. It says this, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. 
That's what he did. He endured the cross for you and for me. So that is the who and the what. What comes after that? When. When did this happen? And so I want to talk real briefly about, about the Passover and also about, about Easter. And I call it the, the previous Passover. We're going to talk about the Old Testament but, and then the entrance of Easter because this is a new celebration time. You see, when Jesus um, hung up on the cross, when he died, it was during this, this feast or festival of unleavened bread. It was, in fact, it was the, the last full week of a, of a month called Nisan, not the car, okay? But this month called Nisan. It, was, it happened between Nisan 15 and 22, those days, all right? So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for us to look at this, this calendar, um, this, this illustration of a calendar. So we have the Gregorian calendar in the middle. This is our calendar, um, our months. But on the outside is just in correlation our, uh, the, the Jewish calendar. And so right here you see the month of, of Nisan, okay? And so Nisan starts at the beginning of spring, right in the middle of March, during like spring break time, okay? And, <clears throat> and so you can see that month, the kind of, it, it straddles March and, and April. And the Bible says that's when all of this happened. In fact, you can go to Leviticus chapter 23. There's a couple places in the Bible that talk about this, this moment. Um, here's, here's what it says. It says, the Lord's Passover, okay, begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. They were celebrating when the Israelites were in Egypt and the, the, the angel of death passed over their homes, okay, there was, there was a, a sacrifice over their, their doorpost, um, and, the, and it was a Passover, right? So that's what they were celebrating. The Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. On the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the festival of unleavened bread, and this is going to last for, for seven days. So this is what happened. Jesus is actually in Jerusalem all week. He's teaching people. He is, um, he's performing miracles. Um, he's causing a little bit of controversy. It was a little crazy. And then on Friday, he's killed. He's killed on Friday. Look what Mark chapter 15 says. Mark 15 says this all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. Their Sabbath was on Saturday. Our Sabbath is on Sunday because that's when Jesus rose from the grave, right? So Friday, um, he, is, he is crucified. So that is the, the who, what, and the when. That's when it happened. What's next? Where? Where did this all happen? Well, I'd like to take you on a quick tour of Jerusalem, okay? A tour of Jerusalem. I, I got a map here um, of, of Jerusalem. This is my handwriting. It's terrible. I know. I apologize. But um, this is just a topographical map of, of Jerusalem in the first century. North is facing this way. So just kind of imagine where you're at. But Jesus was in and around Jerusalem for that week. He hung out with his disciples in, in a place called Bethany. It's on the other side of this Mount of Olives. It's down here um, on the other side. You can't see it on the screen. But he would go into town. This is where they had the Last Supper over here, um, in this part of, of, of the city. And Jesus celebrated that with his disciples. <clears throat> he ended up going down to right outside the temple. He ended up going down um, to the, the garden, and that's where he was arrested. He was taken to several places. One of them is the high priest's house. And there in the middle of the night, he is, um, he's accused and he is, he is tried in, a, in the Jewish way, okay? And they had to keep him overnight there. You can actually go to this place now. They found Caiaphas's house where Jesus was tried. Right next to Caiaphas's house is this, this, old, um, uh, this old prison that was there. Uh, it was catacombs. They turned into these prison this prison, and it was just these uh, tombs um, that they had turned into these, these prison cells and these, this dungeon. And they think they've actually found the place where Jesus was left overnight. Think about that. There was a time where Jesus had, he was just, he was in, he was in captivity, he was in jail 
for a little bit, a little bit of time. You can go and see that place. It's incredible to think Jesus was that, there. In the morning, he was taken um, to where the Romans were, okay, to the, the Roman palace here. And he was falsely accused and, and tried. And then they, he was led right out here to be crucified right outside of town. The Bible talks about it in Luke chapter 23. It says this. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross. The place called the Skull, that's where it was. It was on the road. People could see him. Public execution. It was not hidden. It was shameful and awful. That's the who, what, when, and where. What's last? The why. Why did this happen? I call this the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay? There's several reasons why this happened. Let's look at the bad first. Why did this happen to Jesus? Well, the bad is, is that the leaders lost sight of God. That's what happened. These religious leaders, they'd been trying to find for a long time uh, a way to, to get Jesus and to get rid of him. In fact, I want to read just a little bit of Mark chapter 14 to you. Here's what happened. Jesus is, is arrested. It says, but Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. <laughs> we say I am. It's kind of a simple statement. That was a huge statement. That was God's name in the Old Testament, okay? So that was, that was crazy. He said, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man. That's a, that's a name for the Messiah. So Jesus says both those things right in that moment. You'll see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, why do we need other witnesses? You've heard all his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. You see, that's what was going on back then. The Old Testament had predicted the Messiah. They, they knew that the Messiah was going to come. Jesus is performing all of these miracles. He is saying all these things. He's living this life, proving and showing that he is the Messiah the Old Testament has been talking about for a long time. And yet they didn't believe it because they were threatened. They were scared to lose their power. We see this happen all the time in leadership, right? Leaders will do anything sometimes to keep power. Think about politics today, you know? They'll lie, cheat, and steal. It doesn't matter just so they can stay in power. Think about what was going on back then. But I think also it wasn't just losing political power. They thought they were going to lose their religion when they trusted in Jesus as the Messiah. And so they wanted to get rid of him. That's, that's the bad. There's also the ugly. The ugly is that people are messed up. <laughs> Amen? People are messed up. People are sinful and selfish. You see, at the beginning of that week, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and people praise him. In fact, they praise God. In Matthew chapter 21, it says that, that they, that's what they're saying. They were yelling, praise God. A few chapters later in Matthew 27, they're yelling, crucify him. The same people, they switched because of their sin and their selfishness and following the crowd. It was ugly. But you know what? There's good in it as well. Why did this happen? The good is, is that God has a plan, doesn't he? God has a plan. Let me read some scripture to you about this. First Peter 2 says that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, just like we talked about, so that we can be dead to sin and alive and live for what is right. I love this. By his wounds, you're healed. 
By his wounds, you are healed. That is the good. That is God's plan. This wasn't a surprise to God. This has been God's plan from the very beginning to save you from your sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For God made Christ, meaning that the Father made the Son, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we can be made right with God through Christ. So that we can be made right with God. Our sin separates us from God. This is God's, God's purpose. He wants to have a relationship with us. How can that happen? Through a sacrifice. And he sacrificed himself for us. Look, it's important to know about Jesus' death, right? Because he took your place. He took your place and paid for your sins. Now, that's a lot, but we're not done. We also need to look at something else. In fact, we're going to hit the rewind button just a little bit more. Go back several, several years to when Jesus was a, a little boy. And I want to do, just real briefly, I want to look at some important things about his daily life that I believe have an incredible impact, can have an incredible impact on our lives. When, when, you're, when you're wanting to, to remember something, like we take pictures today, we record them, we save them, all that kind of stuff. Have you, y'all ever, anybody have like those photo books made? You can just make, be able to make those online. Uh, my, my wife and I would do that when our kids were little. We want to remember, you know, whether it was a season or um, uh, a year of their life or we went on vacation or something. You wanted to remember. Now, you can't put everything in that photo book, but you can put some, some snapshots so that when someone opens it up and looks at it, they can kind of get a, an idea, a roundabout idea of what happened and what that person um, is, is like. And so that's what I want to do real quickly about Jesus' daily life. I want us to look at some, some big events. And what we're going to do is we're going to let Scripture Speak. So we're going to read some scripture. We're not going to get deeply into it. Again, we're just kind of skipping the rock across the surface. But I think there's an important message for us. And so let's look at a couple things. Let's go back to when he was a boy. When he was 12 years old, Jesus shows up again on the scene. And what he does is he declares his purpose. In this moment, Jesus even as a, as, a, as, a, as a boy, he hadn't turned into a man yet. In Jewish life, when you were 13, you became a man. And so he, he shows, even as a child, his purpose. I, I want to read uh, in Luke chapter, chapter 2 to you. I'm going to read a couple places. Starting in verse 41, it says that every year Jesus' parents, they went to Jerusalem for, for the Passover um, festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. It's kind of crazy. Passover week, they're there in Jerusalem. Man, you can fast forward a couple of, a couple of decades, and, and Jesus is there again um, on, on the Passion Week, the last moments of his life here on this earth. It's very interesting. So they're hanging out. They do their thing. They're in a caravan of people. They leave. <laughs> and they lose Jesus. Terrible parenting, okay? That's like not how you parent. Um, can you imagine, like, Joseph and Mary, we just lost the Son of God. Um, we're, we're in trouble, okay? We were in trouble. I don't know how that happened, but in verse 46, here's what it says. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Okay, they had taken off. They had to come back. Sitting among the religious teachers, um, he was, that's what he was doing, listening to them and asking questions. It says this, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And his parents didn't know what to think. Here's what they said. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Jesus, don't do this. The Father's going to kill us, right? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, 
he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? What Jesus was saying is that this is my purpose. My purpose here on this earth is to be about my father's business. He came to be our sacrifice for us. Even at a young age, he recognized that. Now let's fast forward just a little bit to, to another moment. When he was about 30 years old, Jesus is baptized. And what he did, he, is he begins with a, with a big splash, okay? He begins his ministry in, in this most profound way. In Luke chapter 3, it says, One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? was because he was showing us an example to follow, but also there's this incredible moment. Now, this is a giant splash. Okay, look what happens. Says, as he was praying, the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you're my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. It says Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. That's when he began his ministry right then. But the big splash of that is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all together in one place. The Trinity, God himself, showed up. That's a big splash. That's an important moment. That would definitely make the, the photo book, okay? So Jesus begins his ministry. The Bible says one of the very first things he did was he performed a miracle at a wedding in this little town north of Nazareth called Cana. He was invited with his disciples. His, his family was there. His friends were there. And they ran out of wine. And Jesus turned water into wine. What he does here is he, he starts proving his power. Jesus began to prove just how powerful he is. Okay, People hadn't been able to witness and experience that yet. And this is the first time this happens. In John chapter um, 2, here's what it says. It says the wine supply ran out during the, the festivities. Okay, Ran out. Everybody's kind of going nuts. It was a shameful thing for that to happen. Jesus' mom says, Jesus, it's time. Time to step up, right? And he's like, this is not my time, mom. She looks over the servant and says, hey, do whatever he wants. <laughs> he tells you to do, right? <laughs> kind of forced him to do it. And Jesus, he turned about 120 gallons of water into wine. That's an incredible miracle. And the Bible says this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And I love this. And his disciples believed in him. Jesus proved his power. When he performed miracles. And one of the greatest miracles, the very first one the Bible records, is he turned water into wine, which is pretty awesome. But not only that, but Jesus spoke truth. He spoke, spoke the most truth, I guess. And there's a moment where Jesus is up on a hillside, the Sermon on the Mount, and he speaks perfect truth. Matthew chapter 5 records it. In fact, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 records it, Okay. But look what it says in the first two verses. It says, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. He set them down. He began to teach some incredible truths. He would say, you've heard that it was said. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's saying these were the laws and regulations and how God wants us to live. But you know what? Here's what I say. He's saying, not saying that those things are not important. He's saying, I have come to fulfill those things. And it's not about you living um, your life outwardly where people can, can see how you live your life, about these regulations and rules. It's about now, it's about your, your inner life. It's about your relationship with God and letting that flow out in your life. He changed so much when he spoke that message. 
There's been a lot of sermons since then, but that is the greatest sermon of all time. Jesus spoke perfect truth in that moment. And a little bit later, he performs another miracle when he feeds 5,000 people. What he does is he does the impossible. Jesus does the impossible. When, when, when everybody was saying it cannot be done, even his disciples who had seen him turn water into wine had heard his, has um, seen him perform other miracles and heal people and, and all of his teachings, when, when they, were, they were fully bought in, they said, you can't do it. All we have is what's on the screen right there. Just a little bit of food. And Jesus does the impossible. Mark chapter 6 says Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. And they all ate as much as they wanted. So they didn't, they didn't hold back. This was like Golden Corral buffet time, okay? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> and afterward... The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. Incredible. It says a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So it wasn't 5,000. It was probably about 15,000. Now that's a picture to take. That's a picture to put in the photo book. I can imagine Jesus had a phone back then. He would got, hey, all you 15,000, get in tight. We're going to take, take a selfie, right? We're going to take a picture. People need to remember what happened. The Bible records that Jesus does the impossible. Now, there's another crazy story that we've got to put in this. There's this moment where not very many people got to see it. It wasn't 15,000 people. There's only only six people in this this next story. But Jesus has this moment where the Bible says he is transfigured. You're like, what in the world is that? What he does in this moment is he, he shows his status to his disciples. In fact, let me read it in Matthew chapter 17. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, so his inner crew of disciples, and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. So it's just just these three with Jesus. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. That's that's an amazing way of putting it. Um, I I think this is a kind of a a funny picture. It's an old just painting, and Jesus looks, he just looks kind of weird, okay, and a little goofy. Uh, but that's, that's how they painted uh, him back then. Uh, this idea of, of the disciples just in, in utter humility and awe of what's going on. And Jesus, who is just walking up the mountain with them, all of a sudden he is transfigured um, by the power of God. And it goes on and says this in verse 3. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. So not only has this happened with Jesus, but now these Old Testament two, two figures just appear. Can you imagine me and those three guys? How scared you would be? Like, what is the point of that? Why did Moses and Elijah show up? I mean, because just Jesus being transfigured would be enough, right? Man, he's God. Woo, let's go. I'm fully bought in. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up. Well, what did Moses represent? The law, right? Moses represents the law, the Old Testament law. What does Elijah represent? The prophets. So you've got the law and the prophets show up. And you know what happens? I don't have it on the screen here, but just a couple verses later, a voice from heaven says, points at Jesus and says, listen to him. To the disciples and also to Moses and Elijah. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, these, this authority over people's lives, the Father says, Jesus has more authority. He's come to fulfill those things. That's pretty powerful. 
where Jesus gets to prove and show his status, who he is. He is greater than all of that. And finally, let me, let me, let me share with you one other moment in Jesus' life before we get to his trial and his execution. And we talked about it a little bit. Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, and it's called the triumphant entry. Y'all, y'all, y'all have heard of that. We, we sang about it the last couple of days. But in this moment, what happens is Jesus reveals his true identity, okay? He reveals who he really is. In Matthew chapter 21, let me read a couple of, of uh, verses here. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty, pretty incredible what happens. It says, they brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he, he sat on it. So a young donkey, right? Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. We talked about that, right? That's what they were doing. And a couple of days later, now they're saying crucify him, right? But at that moment, they're, they're praising God for what is going on. It says the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You know what? Jesus was showing something. He was, he was showing that he's more than a prophet. What he was showing, <laughs> he was showing his true identity. He was showing that he is king. Because you're like, why is Jesus on a donkey? That's weird. Why would he just not walk? He walked everywhere else. Why is he now on a donkey? That, that's strange. Look up this verse. Zechariah 9.9 in the Old Testament. It's easy to remember. Zechariah 9.9. If you read that, it's a prophecy about the Messiah that's going to come. Here's what it says. It pretty much says exactly what just happened. It says, the Messiah is going to come into Jerusalem to take his place on the throne, and he's going to come on a young donkey, okay? Jesus hops on this young donkey and comes in. Everybody that was there knew that. They knew that scripture, and they're praising God. It has finally happened. We've been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah. The Messiah is here. We can't believe it. And Jesus says, I'm not just a prophet. I'm the king. I'm the king. He shows his true status. That's the ultimate power move, isn't it? I mean, man, you go and do that. You know that the, the Pharisees or those religious leaders are right in there. I mean, no wonder they killed him. He shows up and says, I'm king. Now, again, this is a lot. Like, I mean, we, we went, did a lot last week. We're doing, um, we're doing a lot this week. But what is the point of it all? I've got one point for you, okay, as we finish up, and it's this. Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about his death? Why are we talking about his daily life? Now, I believe it's for this this purpose. His changes yours. His changes yours. What I mean by that is this. His death changes your death. The reality is, unless Jesus comes back in your lifetime, you are going to die. First Thessalonians says that believers can have hope even in death because of what Jesus has done for us. He took our place. He paid the penalty for our sins. So when we die, it's not the end. He died to take the punishment that all sinners deserve. 
His death changes our death. John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. They see, he sees Jesus coming. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what his death has done. And look, if your sin has been taken, here's what it means. It means that you're no longer a slave to it, guys. You should no longer be a slave to sin because he's already paid for your sin. It's no longer your master. But also, you don't have to pay for your sin. In the end, when you die, if you're a believer in Jesus, it's been paid for. Jesus did it for you. His death changes your death. But you know what? His daily life ought to change your daily life as well. Look at a couple of verses. John chapter 2, verse John 2 says, those who say they live in God, let me, let, me, let me translate that to modern times. Those who say they are Christians, okay, should live their lives as Jesus did. That should define who we are. And Jesus even says this. He says, I have given you an example to follow. If you want to know how we're supposed to live our lives, look at how Jesus lived his life. He wasn't just meek and mild. He was bold in love. And he sacrificed for people. He told the truth. He did what was right. And he glorified God with his life. He's given us example to follow. He says, do as I have done to you. Jesus' death is in place of yours. And his life is an example for yours. So let me ask this. Have you accepted his death in your place? That's what he's done for you. His death is no good for you unless you accept it. You accept that gift of forgiveness and salvation the Bible talks about. That is the gospel. Have you accepted that? And if you have, let me ask this. Are you living so that others can see Jesus in your life? His death affects our death. It changes it. And his daily life ought to change our lives as well. That is the hope for today. Let me pray for you. God, you are a good and holy and awesome king. And I thank you so much for your son Jesus who you sent to this earth as a baby, like we'll talk about next week. But his life and his impact is so much more than just his birth. His life ought to change our lives. And his death has the power to change our death if we would just believe. And so I pray, God, if anyone in this room, anyone listening online right now has never experienced that freedom and that hope, that is found in accepting that gift of salvation through Jesus. I pray that today might be the day of salvation. They would trust and believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins and rose three days later to conquer sin and death for us. That he's coming back again someday. And Lord, if we have believed in that, we've trust, put our faith and our trust 
um, in you, and we, we claim to be believers and followers and Christians, however we want to describe ourselves. God, are we actually living lives that would reflect Jesus to the world? God, help us to do that. Give us the courage to do that, God. Give us the spiritual gifting to do that. So that we can make our lives not about ourselves, but about you and your glory. And I pray that as we leave this place, that people would see Jesus in us. That we would live out his example to a lost and broken world that needs hope, especially this Christmas time. To God, convict us, change us, and call us to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church, let's have a moment to restore. We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we wanna just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, we want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, and that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.